like to extend a warm welcome to you all to the Denton's Pod Chat. My name is Lynn Harrison. I am a partner in the restructuring and solvency and bankruptcy group of the international law firm of Denton's with more than 200 offices worldwide in 80 countries. Today, it's my pleasure to bring to you another episode again, addressing some of the current topics relating to cross-border insolvencies in Europe. I'm very pleased to have with me today my partners, Christelle Dumont in Luxembourg, Audrey Molina in Paris, Tessa Blank in London, and Andreas Ziegenhagen in Berlin. To get this party started, I would like to first open up with What's going on in each of these jurisdictions? And Andreas, can you just give us a just general overview of the insolvency practice and what's new in Germany at the moment? Yes, of course, Lynn. Um, in general, um, the insolvencies, the formal insolvencies in Germany are picking up um, since beginning of this year, um, in particular because of um, the increase of the interest rate and financing is not anymore as available than in the past. Um, and um, from the sectors, it's in particular, in addition to all industries, the real estate sector who is suffering um, in this situation from the um, financing uh, issues. Um, and therefore, um, we have a lot of also financial restructurings on the bond side, um, on the loan side, um, uh, and also uh, from industries uh, in general. So it's definitely picking up. Uh, and also we had now the, the first cases on our new restructuring framework. Um, and therefore this is also coming now um, into um, uh, an effectively uh, working system, um, but it's still um, uh, on only some cases and not as many as the normal formal insolvencies in Germany. Audrey, what's what's going on in uh, in France at the moment? I know there's been some developments there. Francine, uh, like Andreas, we have an increase of uh, insolvency proceeding, um, and uh, in France we treated it uh, from a preventive proceeding or a, a insolvency proceeding bankruptcy. And uh, what we see in small cases uh, with uh, linked to real estate issue because of uh, difficulty mm -hmm. to refinance uh, uh, building. And uh, also we have uh, some cases uh, in uh, what we call preventive proceeding under French law to renegotiate loan guarantee by the state, but uh, it's almost uh, the same uh, than Andreas. And staying on the continent, Christelle, I know there's been some new developments in Luxembourg with respect to their insolvency law. Have you seen an uptick there? Oh, yes, indeed, maybe. So we, we have a brand new law, which was voted uh, uh, last week, which is uh, fantastic. But um, yeah, we, it's pretty much the same. Apart from that, we, we have seen a, a lot of uh, increasing new cases, uh, in particular in the real estate and construction sector. Um, this week, uh, one of the biggest uh, construction company uh, in Luxembourg went bankrupt. So uh, it will be an interesting time, definitely. I mean, to see uh, 
uh, all those new proceedings that are now uh, in place with our new law uh, and to see how it works. Thanks for that. And just jumping across the channel here, uh, Tessa, what are the developments in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing the same as a lot of uh, that's already been mentioned by by colleagues and especially in the real estate sector um, and other sectors that the real estate sector will will impact on, for example, leisure and retail. Um, we're seeing definitely an uptick in formal insolvencies, but also quite a lot of um, restructuring plans um, in the UK as well, um, which we'll, we'll come on to later in our discussion. Um, but yes, that the sort of combination of, of interest rates and supply chain issues has created a perfect storm um, for insolvencies in the UK. Thank you, Tessa. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that I think all of you mentioned real estate, but before we, we turn to real estate and, and some of the provisions that might be applicable um, in each jurisdiction, uh, let, let's start with the basics. Uh, what what does the debtor, debtor need to file for insolvency proceedings um, in, in each one of your jurisdictions? Uh, what's the threshold um, test in determining whether a debtor, whether the debtor is an individual or a company, um, to file for insolvency proceedings in your jurisdictions. Audrey, what do you what, what's what's the what's the test in France? Under French law, it's a treasury test. The debtor has uh, 45 days to file for bankruptcy when it is in what we call the in cessation of payment situation. The cessation of payments occur when a debtor cannot pay his due debts with its available cash or credit line. Uh, it's, uh, as I said, a treasury test. In such situation, the debtor must choose between two proceedings, court order reorganization or liquidation proceedings. Um, however, before the end of the 24 five days from the cessation of payment, the debtor has an alternative. He can request, instead of an insolvency proceeding, uh, to open uh, a preventive proceeding named the conciliation proceeding. And um, the debtor uh, in such proceeding, um, instead of open uh, an insolvency proceeding, requests to the president of a court the appointment of a conciliator, a third party, for generally negotiating an agreement with the main creditors or any third party for solving the difficulty uh, of the debtor. And uh, in fact, for example, for real estate uh, issue, it's the perfect uh, proceeding. Um, this proceeding is confidential, um, supervised by the president of the court and not binding for creditors. This means that you need the unanimity of the creditor to conclude an agreement. Um, because uh, there are a possibility that the minority of creditors block uh, any agreement, it's possible if at the end you, you have a majority of creditors who uh, accept uh, the, an agreement and a minority refuse to switch to a specific insolvency proceeding 
to uh, use what we call the cross clam down rule to force the hand to a reluctant creditors. Um, so uh, it is this preventive proceeding is instead of insolvency proceeding, it's very interesting. It, it's, interest, it's interesting that, um, Audrey, that you have a, a, a confidential proceeding. Can you talk a little bit about how that confidentiality is maintained? Is it, is it a basically um, what we would call in the United States a mediation, a private mediation um, without a court? Um, can you talk a little bit about that process? Yes. Yes, so it's um, confidentiality given by the law. So it means that uh, when the president appoints the conciliator, the, um, it, there are no publication about this appointment. And when the uh, conciliator called the, um, the creditors in a, a conciliation proceeding, they uh, explained to the creditors that there are confidentiality obligation. Any people who are know the, the conciliation have to respect this uh, confidentiality. If not, um, they can be sued and uh, pay damages if they breach this uh, confidentiality obligation. And we have several um, case law uh, in which, for example, the uh, newspaper who was aware about a conciliation proceeding um, make, made some articles regarding, uh, press article regarding the opening of conciliation proceeding and the court um, uh, condemned them to uh, damages. So it's, it's very um, protected mm -hmm. and uh, very uh, used uh, in France. And the, the threat of damages, it's, it's a real, uh, it's not theoretical, it's a, a it's reality. A real, it's a real yeah, threat, it's a, yeah. It's a real yeah, threat. It's a real threat. Thank I you think. for that, really. Um, interesting process. And, and Christelle, in Luxembourg, what, what, is it, what does it take to, to get through, um, to get to a, an insolvency proceeding? This is quite similar, actually, to, to France. Um, so the debtor shall file for insolvency within one month when the two conditions for uh, insolvency are, are met. And those two conditions are the cessation of payment uh, and the inability to raise credit. Um, well, it's, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to, um, I would say, to assess those two conditions, uh, especially, I mean, for inability to raise credit. Uh, but it's always a kind of leeway. Uh, for the for the debtor uh, in order, I mean to um, and to I would say maybe uh, uh, further a little bit uh, its declaration of uh, of insolvency, and until very recently um, there was no real choice on the type of proceedings for the debtor uh, because most of our restructuring proceedings are not used anymore, and the only solution was uh, filing for for insolvency, which is of course a pity because it's a liquidation proceeding. Uh, so now with the new law, uh, which would uh, enter into force in, in October 2023, uh, we will see because debtors will then be able to apply for preventing, preventive uh, proceedings. So it's really great. And we are very glad, I mean, that uh, we will finally have uh, uh, those preventive proceedings in place. Um, we will see how it works again. And Christelle, just to follow up, um... 
given the new law, are, are there any particular industries or lines of business that, that you think will be taking advantage of the current environment? Um, Andreas touched upon rising interest rates in Germany and, and pushing a lot of companies into insolvency. I, I, I assume come October of this year, you're going to see an influx of uh, insolvencies. Any particular area that, that you're looking at? Well, the, the law is designed, um, I think, more for, for small uh, and medium companies and operational ones, of course. Um, well, as we usually do in Luxembourg, uh, we didn't start from scratch uh, for designing this new law. And uh, so we, we had a look at the, um, the Belgium law on preservation of enterprises, uh, which is clearly designed for, for small and medium enterprise. Thank you for that. Andreas, uh, the, the standard in, in Germany when it comes to insolvency, can you take us through that, please? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, of course, a general rule and in practice, most likely um, uh, in, in Germany, the filing is um, uh, caused by illiquidity. Um, and in, in this regard, Germany is relatively strict. Um, it, uh, someone has to file with undue delay and there is a 30 days, um, so, so sorry, um, uh, three weeks, um, um, uh, uh, three weeks they have um, at the latest to file for um, uh, insolvency if they are, um, have an illiquidity. The, the special feature in Germany is more related that we have in addition an obligation to file for insolvency if there is an over indebtedness. And the over indebtedness is if there is no going concern, it's a balance sheet test, if um, there is not sufficient assets to cover the uh, liabilities. And if there is a going concern, then it's um, an imminent illiquidity within a 12 months forecast. Um, it is still in this year a special um, law in place where the period is only um, uh, reduced to four months. This will be end of the year change again to be 12 months. But that kind of forecast is of course now um, becoming more and more an issue because it's an obligation to file for insolvency if you have an over indebtedness. Therefore, everybody has to forecast on, a, on, on his level at least now four months and in the future again, 12 months and a need to have a forecast which is showing that he has uh, and sufficient funds to pay um, mature debt. Um, and that, that causes more the issue. And in Germany, it's also special feature that it's not only a personal liability risk um, if you are not filing um, um, when you have to file um, because a delayed fi filing for insolvency is also uh, a criminal offense in Germany. So it's in addition, a harsh regime in Germany um, and we have still um, um, our discussions about over indebtedness in general. If it's really uh, should stay as an obligation, some are asking um, to change the law that it's um, only a possibility to file, but not an obligation. But today it's still an obligation in Germany. Um, and therefore uh, it's relatively harsh um, if you delay um, the filing and of course an insolvency administrator looks into this um, if he has um, an insolvency 
and, and therefore he's going to the past. Um, was there a going concern and was there already an over indebtedness um, um, uh, months or weeks before he filed? Um, and currently the filing for um, over indebtedness, it's um, uh, uh, double, it's uh, not three weeks, it's six weeks. And this year it's also extended to eight weeks. So you have a little bit more um, time um, um, uh, with undue delay, but at the latest today in eight weeks and in the future again in six weeks if um, the company is over indebted. Andreas, thank you for that. Um, Tessa, with respect to the English law, there, there is no absolute requirement to file for insolvency proceedings, is there? No, that's right. There is no absolute requirement, so it's quite different to some of the other jurisdictions. Um, and it really depends on the circumstances and what the directors deem is in the best interest of creditors. So they may decide that actually um, to put the company into, a, into an insolvency proceeding is in the best interest, but equally uh, a better return might be achieved by either trading on, restructuring or winding down the business and not doing anything immediately. Um, so it, it's really the directors who make the call and the two different tests that they have in mind um, are firstly the creditor duty test. So this is where directors know or ought to know that the company is insolvent or bordering on insolvency. Um, and they have to balance the interests of creditors um, against those of interest where there might be a conflict. Um, and it's a sort of sliding scale. So the greater the company's financial difficulties, the more the directors must prioritize the interests of creditors. Um, but where liquidation or administration or, or main insolvency procedures are inevitable, um, the creditors' interests become paramount. Um, and the second test they have to have in mind is the wrongful trading test. Um, so this is where there's no prospect of the company avoiding insolvent liquidation or administration. Um, and directors can be liable here where they fail to take every step with a view to minimizing loss to creditors. Um, so yes, again, it, it depends on how they deem that the loss can be minimized as to exactly what they do in this situation. Um, and just to add, as well as the, the two tests, that the directors may seek to use um, one of the restructuring tools that we have in order to avoid the formal insolvency proceedings, including restructuring plan schemes of arrangement and company voluntary arrangements. In the United States, we, we have um, a lot of case law and in fact, uh, provisions addressing cramming down dissenting classes. And it's been used quite frequently under the US bankruptcy code. Um, there, there certainly have been some developments on this front, and, and um, I would be interested in knowing, um, Audrey, what's been the developments in France when it comes to cramming down classes? And just a minute. Under uh, French law, we have a cross cram down rule that was uh, substantially amended in 2021. Um, in fact, uh, a restructuring plan has to be voted by all the classes of creditors at the two-third majority of each class. However, even if one or more classes voted against the plan, the cross-class Crandon rules allows the debtor to present its plan to approval of a court if at least 
just one creditor class in the money accepted the plan at the two-third majority. In this case, the court can approve the restructuring plan if the plan respects few conditions, mainly the best interest of creditor test. Uh, if a court approves the restructuring plan, you obtain the cross-class plan down. The plan is binding for all the creditors. Christelle, what's, what's the standard in Luxembourg? Well, the standard will have to be tested because uh, actually it's um, uh, one of the features of the new law. Um, so the debtor will be allowed to, to require the homologation of its reorganization plan uh, by the court and to impose it to, uh, to all dissenting creditors. Um, if at least one class has approved, but actually there will be uh, three conditions for that. Uh, the first one being that the plan um, does not unduly prejudice uh, the interest of um, creditors and is in the best interest of the creditors. Uh, the second one is when the, the prejudice, uh, when the plan is approved uh, only by uh, ordinary uh, creditor class, uh, the extraordinary creditor class is better treated than the ordinary ones. And the third one is that um, if, if none of the affected parties can um, uh, receive or keep more than the total amount of claim or interest uh, in the context of the plan. So uh, this will be interesting to see uh, how it works. And I, I'm sure, I mean, that um, as I said, the, as the law has been, uh, let's say, copied on the Belgium one, uh, we will be able, I mean, to, um, to see how it works in Belgium. So, so. Christelle, when, when, given that this is a new law in Luxembourg, the courts will be relying on precedent, primarily in, in Belgium, um, is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. It's really uh, how we do it usually in Luxembourg, because, well, a lot of our laws are uh, based in French law or Belgium law. So when we don't have any... Uh, doctrine or case law in Luxembourg, we will have a look uh, at the ones in either France or Belgium. So this will definitely be the case with this new law. Andreas, the, the, the concept of cross-class cram-down has, has been already implemented in Germany. You've got a little bit of precedent when it comes to this particular topic, correct? Yes, um, that, that's correct. Uh, in our insolvency code, we already introduced um, um, a long time ago the possibility of a cross-class um, cram-down. Um, uh, we have now also introduced a cross-class cram-down into our re restructuring framework. Um, there are, in detail, there are some differences. In general, it's always a rule as the same uh, like in, in France and also to my understanding in Luxembourg that um, a creditor um, um, could always um, um, go against um, the plan if he's worse off as a result of the plan than he would be in an insolvency um, proceeding. So that's always um, the, the first test. And then the second that in our insolvency regime, we have um, 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 uh, the absolute priority rule, and in the in in the restructuring framework, we have some more exceptions to this, uh, and therefore that uh, is something where we perhaps also can discuss further. But in general, we have um, already case law um, from the insolvency court, 
and it um, also will also be um, used for the restructuring framework. The same um, um, cases we had already um, have their similarities, and um, and therefore um, uh, we are perhaps already a little bit um, easier to to deal with it in practice. Tessa, what, what's the uh, status of uh, cramming down classes in, in the UK? Um, in the UK, um, we we had a new law introduced in um, 2020, which um, brought in the restructuring plan tool, which was a very welcome addition um, to the, the various tools that we have here in, in England. Um, and under restructuring plan, um, the creditors and shareholders affected are divided into classes as with, with other procedures. Um, and in order for a class to approve the plan, 75% of that class must vote in favour. However, if one class doesn't vote in favour, that dissenting class can be crammed down if the following conditions are satisfied. They are firstly that none of the members of the dissenting class would be any worse off under the plan than they would be in the event of the relevant alternative. And the second um, condition is that at least one class of creditors or shareholders who would receive payment or have a genuine economic interest in the company in the event of the relevant alternative has voted in favour of the plan. Um, so the relevant alternative is whatever the court considers would be most likely to occur were the plan not to be sanctioned. Thanks for that. We're going to turn to a topic that I'd like to just to get everyone's take on. Um, you know, it's 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 becoming quite common that when you go into an insolvency proceeding, there is residual value still left for the shareholders, right? Um, in those cases. There, um, there's money, there's cash, there's value left for shareholders and the like. Um, but there's usually tests that must be applied. The absolute priority test, uh, best interest test, um, at least in the United States um, before this residual value can be shared among equity holders. Um, Audrey, what, what, what situations allow for this residual value to um, be available to shareholders? Um, what, when, are, when are companies in the money, for example, um, for purposes of, of determining whether shareholders or interest holders can share in the estate. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, the, generally, the uh, shareholder are the last creditor uh, paid. Uh, so, um, what if you, we are in a Restructuring uh, plan uh, generally, uh, uh, as we explained before, so we have uh, 
best interest uh, of creditor, what is the, um, but you have two categories. You have uh, the category of uh, creditors in the money and the best interest of creditors, which is the, the both uh, rules that uh, follow where the money will, how you will pay creditors. Um, in fact, the one who are um, the most important creditors is the creditor in the money. And the, and well, who is the creditor in the money? The, the creditor who will be paid in case of liquidation of uh, activities um, and uh, the assets. And generally, um, we uh, can uh, value uh, and rank the creditors um, to know if they are in the money or, or out the money um, with um, a report of uh, McContent's uh, firm. So the valuation is key to know um, if at least the shareholder will have something um, and to get to, to identify the uh, creditors in the money. Okay, so so to not interrupt you, but valuation. Who does the valuation? Uh, in the United States, we have experts, right? That that show up and each side presents their their experts to the value that might be available to each class. I assume the same thing governs in in France. Yes, what we we see in general, the debtor when he prepare his uh, restructuring plan needs a valuation. So generally, the debtor I appointed an expert, and uh, he will use the report will be used during all the proceeding. And if the court need another expert because sometimes there are some class of creditors. Uh, would challenge the uh, expert report, the court have the possibility to appoint a, a, a new one. And this this one, the judicial expert, will be the, uh, I, would, I would say, the, the good uh, evaluation okay. and the, the evaluation that will count for the court. And who, and who pays for that? By the way, <laughs> the debtor, the, the debtor, debtor pays for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. That's, that's always the debtor. Always the debtor. Okay, Christelle, uh, what's the process? I mean, yeah, you, you go into a, a liquidation proceeding, there's a hierarchy, I understand. Um, but how is all this determined in, in Luxembourg, and, and how rare is it? or how frequent is it that that shareholders can share in the in the residual value of an estate? Well, in in let's say um, formal insolvency uh, proceedings, which are liquidation proceedings, it is extremely rare that shareholders will get anything, uh, because the the hierarchy between creditors is determined by law. Uh, so, of course, obviously, and then you have. Uh, uh, creditors with priority, like um, uh, employees, like, of course, uh, tax administration or social security administration. And after that, of course, there are all um, uh, financial creditors and normal creditors. 
And most of the time, there is nothing left for, for shareholders. It's extremely rare. Uh, I remember that in the past, we had a lot of discussions to know I mean, whether a shareholder loan will be considered as a normal creditors or if there are um, some subordination or things like that. Um, this is pretty much, I mean, things that now are, are cleared uh, under Luxembourg law. And uh, with the new law, I mean, when we will have reorganization plans, um, well, it's also pretty clear, but we will see um, how the courts will interpret that. But um, normally all creditors are, shall receive a payment of at least a part of their claims. Yeah, and so the, the initial text of the, of the Bill of Law even considered to have a minimum of 20% uh, uh, of their claims paid to, to creditors. Fortunately, this uh, threshold was abandoned uh, in the law, uh, which has been voted. Andreas, in Germany, when when do I know I'm in the money? Yeah, it, it's it's more the same like we discussed. In uh, one of the um, requirement in an insolvency plan and also for the restructuring plan is that you have to, um, as the debtor um, has to show a comparison between the the plan value and the uh, insolvency value or the in the restructuring the best alternative um, option so um, in an insolvency it's easier because then it's normally only the the liquidation um, or the sale of all assets in a uh, under a certain going concern but it's at the end um, more the liquidation case in the restructuring framework it's it's in the in our law that the best alternative option must be compared to the plan value. So that's something which, um, of course, could cause um, um, uh, the, the discussions about uh, the value and who's in the money. Um, and therefore, um, for the insolvency, it's easy also, as said um, by Christelle, that normally the shareholder is out of the money. We had now the first big um, uh, restructuring framework case in Germany where, and that's normal that we, the Paris-Passou creditors are normally treated the same, even if they are in different groups, they receive the same plan, plan value, the same quote in, this, in the plan. And in our um, restructuring framework, it was the, only the shareholders who were um, um, uh, uh, not accepting um, that they are out of the money. They were accepting that the old money was, was, um, has no value anymore, but they insisted that they have the right to subscribe and a capital increase. Because in our plan, um, we uh, gave them not um, a right of subscription of new capital, because that was um, um, a new investor, and the new investor was um, not giving any possibility that any other investor could subscribe because he said, this is my deal, I want 100%, and that's now the deal. And therefore, um, it was um, um, challenged by, um, uh, by the shareholders, but it was um, um, confirmed by the court that under the um, best credit test, um, and that it was not possible that they um, uh, could make a credible um, uh, a credibility regarding um, their own right to subscribe because there was no option that uh, the investor or any other investor would have um, invested into the case uh, without getting 100%. Um, so there was a delisting, it was a public company, it was delisted through the framework and we have now um, a new shareholder and the creditors of course also um, agreed on reducing 
um, the loans um, to more or less 50%. So um, there was more than 700 million where the, the, the loans were reduced and were uh, increasing the new capital um, and um, uh, restructured the balance sheet. But that kind of case is perhaps for the future and for also new cases in Luxembourg under the new law um, is, is an example where it's uh, hopefully pretty clear that um, um, uh, also under the absolute priority rule that it's clear that the shareholder, um, if, if he's out of the money, has no say in such plan. And therefore, also the, the cross-class cram down of the shareholders was confirmed by the court. Interesting. Um, Tessa, uh, what's the, what's the uh, latest when it comes to uh, these particular issues of when you're in the money and when shareholders can share in the residual value? Yeah, so in the UK, um, in a formal insolvency scenario, uh, the shareholders are at the back of the queue in terms of distribution. So it's quite unusual for them to get anything back, but it, it has happened, for example, in the case of the Lehman Brothers um, administration in, in the UK. Um, talking about restructuring plans, here we have no absolute priority rule, um, which means that uh, a junior class can receive some recovery before a senior class receives payment in full, which is um, helpful in, in terms of the flexibility of use. Um, and, and this was the case in, in one of the recent UK sanctioned restructuring plans. Um, in terms of a creditor or shareholder who's out of the money, i.e. Who, um, who has no in economic interest in the relevant, um, they may have their vote excluded um, and, and, and won't be counted. Thank you, Tessa. Um, I would like to thank Christelle Audrey, Tessa, and Andreas for this um, enlightening um, discussion regarding current events in Europe. I think that we all agree that we should continue to keep abreast of these events in Europe. So that's a wrap when it comes to Pod Chat. Thank you very much. Thank you.